There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Baghdad Soundwalks. Hello, I'm Dina Hassanian. Welcome to this season of Echoes of History, inspired by Assassin's Creed's Mirage from Ubisoft. A series of soundwalks where we take you through 9th century Baghdad. So over the next 10 episodes, we'll be making our way through the winding contours of time, getting to the heart of this mighty civilization, and discovering what makes it so important. I'm joined by Professor Ali Ayalomi. Ali, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Howdy guys, I'm Ali. I'm a historian specializing in the medieval Islamic world and I was actually one of the consultants on the Mirage game. Dina, that howdy was a clear indication I am from America. I'm not going to comment further. I've never heard someone say howdy when I've podcasted <laughs> with them. That's definitely unique. What was it like consulting on the game? You must have got some cool points for that. I absolutely did. It's probably the most exciting and cool thing I've done as a historian. History is not always an exciting profession, but this was definitely a top mark. And the fun is not over, Ali, because we are going to be guiding people through the history of medieval Baghdad, the setting for Assassin's Creed Mirage. And this is a very exciting time period, which is usually overlooked. Not many people know much about medieval Baghdad and how rich it is in history and intrigue and mystery as well. Uh, too true. I always say that this period is even more Game of Thrones than Game of Thrones. So get ready. So Ali, today we're taking a tour of Baghdad. Talk to me, what am I going to see? Yeah, that's right. We're going to explore this medieval metropolis, this capital city of the Abbasid Empire, the heart of the Islamic civilization and home to mighty architectural marvels and great intellectual achievements. So Dina, I have a question for you. Imagine you've just conquered vast swaths of land, overthrown a rival empire, and now you're a ruler of a grand new dynasty. Just things you do on a casual weekend. What's the first thing you'd do? Um, probably sit down and take it all in for a moment. That's probably the first thing I do. <laughs> Time to decompress. Yeah, exactly. But I imagine the answer you're looking for, Ali, is establishing a capital and making sure trade is flowing in my new city. Absolutely right. You want to get trade flowing. You want to make sure that you've got money in this new empire that you've created. But as you rightly point out, you establish a capital city. Under Khalif Mansur in 762, they decide that they need a center for their new empire. And according to the historian Al-Tabari, Mansur heard a prophecy, an ancient Christian prophecy, and we do love our prophecies here. According to this prophecy, a man named Miklas will establish a city in the area that will eventually become Baghdad. And Mansur loved that because he claimed 
he was called Miklos when he was younger. Now, whether that's true or not is up in the air, but certainly it lends some reasoning for Khalif Mansur's establishment of the city. Mm. So what does he do? He gathers around him his greatest thinkers and architects and astrologers, people like Naubacht and Mashallah Ibn Athari and Omar al-Tabari, and he tells them, build me a city. These people were city planners and they were also astrologers. What they decide is that they're going to pick a specific time in order to capture a celestial meaning for the city. So on July 30th, 762 CE, when the sun was in Leo, the sign of royalty, and Jupiter was rising over the horizon in Sagittarius, the sign of the philosopher, they created the first ground for Baghdad. This would be a city of nobility, of wealth, and of learning. And together with hundreds of thousands of builders and scores of architects, they would build a blossoming city that would be a cultural and intellectual hub for the known world for the next 500 years. And it would change the course of history forever. Al-Mansur would name this city the City of Peace. So a very bold ambition there. So prophecies, dreams, and astrology were pretty big back then. Absolutely. It was a way for them to say that they were ordained by the heavens themselves. I love that. And Baghdad wasn't their first capital city, right? That's right. Their first capital city was the ancient city of Kufa or Anbar. These things are always a little complicated because the dynasty changes over time. But eventually they establish Baghdad as their own, a way of saying... This is our land now. Nothing marks territory like naming a new capital city, right, Ali? That's very true. It's a way of really saying for future generations, here we are and here we will remain. I mean, we still do it to this day, right? It's why we put our names on big buildings. It's why we give funding for various charities. And it's why we build our cities. Yeah, that makes sense. And... They actually take other things into consideration as well, like climate. And the practical consideration of climate matters, as anyone who's ever lived in the southern Mediterranean or southern California knows. You're talking to someone who's lived in England her whole life. I know how important climate is, Ali. (laughs) (laughs) Beach weather, beach weather, beach weather. Okay, you don't need to rub it in. We get it. We don't get beach weather here. Where are you again? California? Southern California. Okay. I'm not trying to be negative, but hopefully it'll rain tomorrow for you. (laughs) And... Other than the practical considerations, the climate would have shaped the culture too. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. It really produces a particular type of people, a particular type of work. So culture really matters. Real estate matters. And it just seems they thought about everything, Ali. You know, I thought they'd go in there, build stuff and hope for the best. But this is not how these people worked, right? No, they thought about everything. Location was important for them. They wanted to be at the site of the great empires of the past. They wanted the climate. Let's do this. Imagine you're a traveler or, say, an assassin, and you've traversed the hot, dry desert for leagues with only the scorching heat and brutal wind as your companion. You crest the hill, and there you see it. Glittering in the distance, a vast, round city straddling mighty rivers, its towering minarets jutting defiantly against the backdrop, a jewel in the desert. You move closer, and the first thing that greets you is that sound. 
You hear the sound of life, of laughter and talking, haggling and singing, all pushing back against the empty sound of the wind that you've been hearing for miles. And as you get closer, the temperature drops. Cultivated land, flowing water, all the things you mentioned, they shape that climate, they shape the culture. The cool breeze replaces the hot wind and the shade from the trees and the towering walls offer you shelter from the sun. You enter into that gate and rising up before you is the city of peace. They thought about all of it. That was a very vivid description. I felt like I was bursting there, first entering Baghdad, getting that feeling that the traveler would get, the relief, the excitement, and maybe even a little bit overwhelmed since there's so much going on. Oh, overwhelmed is the right, right word for it. So Dina, I actually have brought a map with me today because we're going to be covering a lot of ground. We're going to look at the different districts and the different quarters because this is a city that was divided and organized in a certain way. You could even say that it was a kind of Middle Eastern Venice. I've actually never been to Venice. (laughs) Me neither, don't worry. (laughs) It's an abstract comparison. (laughs) We'll get there, we'll get there. And when you say it's divided, Ali, do you mean as in people went to different districts for different reasons or divided as in class? Both, that there were certain functions to different districts, but also that people lived in different places. In fact, you can tell a lot about a civilization by the type of cities it builds and who lives in those cities. I see what you mean. So each city has its own design and character Just the same way that if I looked at a picture, I'd immediately be able to tell if this was Paris or London or DC. This is the exact same thing. But I do have a question, Ali. Why is this city so round? That's a really great question. Why a round city? It seems like a weird design, but let me tell you, the Abbasids fancied themselves philosopher kings. At the end of the day, they were really just warrior nerds who loved (laughs) to battle at night and philosophy in the day. They were inspired by the ancient Greek philosophers like Euclid, and they were drawn to the ancient Sasanian cities like Gur. And then, of course, you add in the celestial symbolism, like I mentioned before. It's why they relied on specific astronomical and astrological timing. It gave them political legitimacy. In this design, It's meant to mirror the heavens. There are seven heavens and God rests above the heavens. So too in this circular city, you have the Khalif right in the center of it, the center of the world, so to speak. So very intentional in everything they're doing. Exactly. And just in case people don't know, what is a Khalif? The Khalif is the political leader of the Islamic world. It literally translates to successor or vicergent. It's a political and social leader of the Muslim empires. Okay, so round city for symbolism Mm -hmm. and practical reasons too? Yeah, ease of navigation, population flow. I actually always tell people whenever I teach this class about Baghdad, I say, have you ever seen Avatar The Last Airbender, which is one of my favorite cartoons? Yeah. There's a city in it, the city of Ba Sing Se, and it's a lot like Baghdad, round cities with concentric rings in the Earth Kingdom. And what do they always say in that cartoon? There is no war in, in Ba Sing Se. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we take a tour of the city then? Tell me, what would a visitor have seen entering the city of peace 
You've already mentioned it's a round city with at least two rings, an inner, an outer, greater outer walls of brick. Let's have a look at the map. I see Sham, Kufa, Basra, and Khorsan. Are these all locations? They're actually gates that are directed towards those cities. So you'd have the gate of Sham directed towards Syria, the gate of Kufa towards Kufa, and so on and so forth. And that allows people to flow into the city from those different areas. But then you also had various districts like Harbiya, which was the sort of largest suburb. You'd have the Jewish and Persian population mostly in that area. You also had Qarq, which was the mercantile and commercial hub of the city. It's where all the merchants was. It's where all the marketplaces were. Then you have the Abbasiyah, which is the cultural center with its towering Bayt al-Hikmah. That's the house of wisdom. In fact, you'll see each of these in the game and we'll definitely tour these elements more in depth in the future. Now, you pointed out very rightly that there's differences in these regions, right? Yes, exactly. I'm guessing Al-Karkh is much wealthier than Harbiya, which is more of a slum-like area. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's not just that these areas have certain functions, but they also have their own characteristics. There's actually a really funny story uh, that a medieval chronicler writes about, about a newlywed who live in uh, Harbiya, yeah. but they don't like living in Harbiya and want to move to Karkh because it is a nicer location. And in fact, they say it's better to raise kids in Karkh because it's a nice place. And that should sound familiar to anybody who's ever had to worry about buying a house or raising kids. Totally. Nothing's changed there. And when we dive into this much deeper, I think people will understand why Harbiya is a place that this newlywed didn't want to live in. <laughs> Kharkh, I should mention, is actually near the southern gate. So where these places are also tells us a little bit about what their function is. By being close to the southern gate, it's connected to the flow of the river to the canals that move through the city. And those canals would allow you to travel by barge and boat. And even today, we can see that the majority of global trade is run by boats. I mean, do you yeah. remember a couple years ago, there was that big ship, I called it Bodie McBoatface, <laughs> that run aground in the Suez Canal? Yes, Ali, it was called the Ever Given. And yes, I do remember it because the Egyptian media wouldn't stop. It was like constant and it was like, look how much trade we've lost. So yeah, I couldn't forget that even if I tried. And it brought like the global economy to a halt. I don't know if it was happening where you were, but we were, we had toilet paper shortages in Southern California. So it's a really good reminder that uh, we still rely on boats for moving our goods. And that remains true in medieval Baghdad. So we're looking at central that connect us, the idea of moving goods through boats. Wow. So what were some of the other locations, Ali? All right, so we've got Sharqiya, which is an administrative and military site. That's like where you go and you do all your political business. It's the bureaucracy. It's the paperwork place, we'll call it. Um, And initially, it was actually supposed to be the place uh, of the prince. It was a sort of house or a palace where the prince and successor, the khalif, would live. But eventually, it just becomes the administrative 
place. But there's more. There are three major structures that we see in Baghdad and that we'll be talking about. The palace, the mosque, and the house. The palace, as we mentioned, is right in the center, surrounded by gardens. And those gardens are important because in Islamic thought, heaven is one big garden. And it was really opened and designed to be accessible to all. So anyone could access the palace? Absolutely. It's very different from a medieval European castle, which is a private location. The palace is open and accessible. Then we have the mosques. There's the Grand Mosque, which was built as a central place of worship and for community work. But also there's different districts that have mosques of their own. So it's a lot like many Middle Eastern cities today. If you've actually ever been to Istanbul Mm -hmm. with its many mosques, you'll have this experience where off in the distance you'll hear the call to prayer and then slowly it'll get closer and closer as each mosque picks it up. And that is very much what we'll see in medieval Baghdad. I think it's also worth noting that, yes, there are grand mosques, but Islam was not the only faith that people in Baghdad followed. We also had Christianity and Judaism. And if you even look at the population, the two million people that were there were made up of Arabs, Persians, Northern East Africans, Greek, Jewish, as I already mentioned, and even Chinese. It's an incredibly diversity ethnically and religiously. Okay, can you tell me a bit more about the third structure then, the House of Wisdom? I love that you didn't miss that. The House of Wisdom is my favorite place. This is where the warrior nerds would gather, and I fancy myself a warrior nerd. Right. (laughs) Let me have my fantasies. Okay. (laughs) Uh, They would get together, and this is where they translated the Greek, the Persian, Indian, and Syriac sources. We're talking about ancient math and science and philosophy and poetry. And all of that results in a cultural blossoming of the arts and sciences. And it has a massive impact on world history. We're actually going to be diving deeper into its culture in future episodes. I can't wait for that. I'm starting to get a feel for the city. The difference between the power, market, cultural and industrial cities, the importance of symbolism, how intentional they were with their designs. Oh yeah, Dina, we've just begun. I mean, if I'm being honest, I could go on for hours and hours, but we've (laughs) got to save something for the future. In fact, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about the people actually living, working and contributing to the culture of this city. I can't wait, Ali. You've really got me excited for the rest of this season. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Baghdad Soundwalks. See you next time, fellow travelers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.